When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we hear the comeback story of Hunter the Vishla with Rich Wong. Thanks for tuning in for episode number 131. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight, Wing Shooter Elite, Over and Unders. They've got pumps, they've got semi-autos, and they will soon have the crowdsourced shotgun designed by the Project Upland community. Stay tuned for more details on that. Learn more at cz usa and by Dr. Callers. For over 30 years, Dr. has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. Learn more at Dogtra.com. And by Electronic Shooters Protection. Custom-molded, custom-fit, electronic hearing protection 
Let's you hear what you want to hear and blocks out everything that you don't. Learn more and get yourself a pair at ESPAmerica.com. And by Sage and Breaker, makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies. The legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage and Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they are proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at SageandBreaker.com. And finally by Dakota 283 Kennels. Unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Check out their kennels and the rest of their products by visiting dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway, Taylor from North Carolina, sent me an email. He's been loving the podcast. He's diving into bird hunting. He just finished his first season with his own bird dog, put some woodcock and quail in the bag. Thanks for listening, Taylor. Happy hunting and a Project Upland t-shirt headed your way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway all you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show leave us a rating leave us a review in the podcast app subscribe to the podcast share the podcast send us some feedback or guest suggestion tell me a hunting story like taylor did we appreciate it we'd love to hear from our listeners you can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com all right this week we're talking to rich wong aka whisk me nord on instagram if you follow him there he's a professional photographer by trade he's been a lifelong bird hunter and he joins the show today to talk about some of his adventures in the uplands a 13 year old vishla of his named hunter who you're going to hear a lot more about today along with some of rich's background some of the work he does and we talk a little bit about shotguns at the end of it with that said let's welcome into the conversation and on to the project upland podcast rich wong and we're rolling rich wong welcome to the podcast man thanks for joining me today thanks nick thanks for having me how you doing buddy it's january i'm good we're uh staying warm it's been a pretty obviously mild winter for everyone so yeah just trying to you know i'm missing hunting but i'm filling it in with ice fishing which doesn't doesn't do the trick but it's something <laughs> that's that's kind of how I look at ice fishing now. I have I haven't gone ice fishing yet this year, and it's one of those things I could bring myself to do a little bit, but not very much. Not quite like bird hunting. Yeah, it's not it's, it's not the same. <laughs> well, Rich, we'll put you on the map a little bit. Where's uh Where's home generally? Home is the Twin Cities of uh, Minnesota. Yeah, and we also have a cabin in northern Wisconsin. Cool. You are in the heart of what many would think of as outdoor country. Folks that live in Minnesota, Wisconsin, love to get outdoors, myself included. So I imagine, uh, and and of course, that's why you find yourself on the Project Elfin podcast today. But outdoors are a big part of your life? Absolutely, yep. Uh, Grew up hunting and fishing with Dad. Uh, Grew up on a lake, so I was out on the dock all the time. Also, uh, grew up in the prairie pothole. Well, actually, didn't grow up in the prairie pothole region of Manitoba, but um, spent a few a few years there, and then also lived in Calgary, Alberta. So, um, been around birds my whole life, and uh, just it's a it's a pastime that I shared with my dad and and my family. So yeah. I picked up on this a little bit just in some of our conversations we met earlier this summer out at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, and uh, I. I guess I kind of knew you before that a little bit just via social media, which is uh, all too common today. But are you are you a, a Canadian and an American citizen? Yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, I was born in born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Okay. And then I uh, don't remember the exact age. It was in my teens uh, when we were in Minnesota, and I was able to apply for a dual citizenship. So I have uh, a dual citizenship with, with the U.S. and Canada. Okay. Yep. 
did that give you any special privileges this year? Can you go to Canada right now if you want to or no? Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't looked into it. Okay. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I, my guess is I could probably get in. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, that would be interesting. I, I haven't uh, talked to anybody that has dual citizenship. I've talked to a number of folks interviewed on this podcast that normally had Canadian hunting trips planned this year, and, of course, they were unable to go, so that's, that's why I thought of it. Yeah. Well, Rich, I did just read, I reread your, you had an article in the one of the latest issues of Project Upland Magazine that talked a lot about your background in hunting. And I, first of all, I'll say I really enjoyed the article, a uh, little bit emotional at times, but you did a great job, man. I, it was a good read. I appreciate that. Uh, AJ had me, uh, pushed me a little bit to write and uh, had the opportunity. It was pretty good timing here. Yesterday was 10 years since my dad passed away. So it was, it was, uh, pretty special to be able to have that in print. Yeah. In the magazine. Yeah. Well, you certainly, I got a sense of the relationship that you had with your dad and the appreciation and respect you had for some of the things that he taught you. And that really came through in the article and, uh, man, it, I, I enjoyed reading it. I encourage folks if, if they've got a copy, go check that one out if they haven't yet. But I want to start there a little bit because, as you probably know, I love to ask people how they got into bird hunting, and that's detailed a little bit in the article. But tell me about sort of your intro to hunting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, my dad uh, was born also in Manitoba, and he actually got introduced to hunting from my grandfather's friend. Uh, so my, my, my family was, was, they weren't hunters. And, uh, the story goes that, that he came home from a hunt and he was so excited to get into it that he was pulling on his dad's coattails saying like, let's do this. This is awesome. And, um, they got into it and my, my uncles got into it and grandma and, and my auntie were also interested and they, you know, they, they all enjoyed being in the outside outdoors. So they really kind of uh, dove deep more into the waterfowl piece of things being in Manitoba. Um, but they, they hunted sharp tails without dogs. And so when I was old enough, uh, I was probably, I think I was four or five years old. Um, I got to go on my first hunt and, um, it was pretty, pretty special memories out there with my dad. He taught me a lot of things outside of, of just bird hunting, but, uh, yeah, we didn't get our first bird dog until I was probably maybe nine or 10. Yeah, reading the article, you had some good recollections from your first hunt at at a pretty young age. I recall you saying that it was going to be waterfowl in the morning and sharp tails in the afternoon. It sounds like a pretty good yeah. day. Yeah, I had a pretty sharp memory. I don't have the, I don't have a, a sharp mind now, but I, I had a pretty sharp memory when I was a kid. I have a lot of uh, a lot of good memories from uh, growing up in Canada. You know, it's interesting the memories that do seem to stick with you and remain vivid. And a lot of times there, there are multiple senses involved. You know, you were, you were probably very excited and you were at a heightened state of awareness. And those are the memories that seem to stick with you. And I know, I know that personally, some of my memories that like that are, they involve rough grouse, as you might imagine. Yeah. So yeah. bird dog then a little bit later. So you kind of, you got, you got exposed early, started tagging along with dad. And yep. what was the the impetus for getting a bird dog? Was that just kind of your dad's evolution and kind of diving a little bit deeper into it? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And and it, you know, it was never it was never a conversation. It was kind of an interesting story. Um, we were actually in London, England, uh, as a family, visiting, doing all the tourist things, and uh, we were actually taking a nap in the hotel. And my dad and my oldest sister came back. 
they're out shopping and they're like, we bought a dog. And we're like, excuse me. And uh, <laughs> so like, this was, this was like all news to all of us, even, even mom. And uh, they ended up going to this, to this, to the department store Harrods and which apparently used to be famous for having all kinds of exotic animals. They actually bought an English Cocker Spaniel at Harrods, the department store. Wow. <laughs> yep. And uh, she was a great dog. We actually named her London. Um, she I like was that small, name. Yeah, it was, it was, she was a great dog. Really small, um, nice little flusher. She was a sweetheart. Really, really intelligent dog. So bought it from a department store in London. Just no qualms about that. Just, well, we'll get it back on the plane and back to Canada. Yep. <laughs> or or, or yep. were you going back to Canada at that time? Uh, no, no, back to uh, St. Paul. Okay, St. Paul. All right, gotcha. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that's probably maybe one of the more unique bird dog acquisition stories I've heard on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yep, absolutely. So then did you, was it flushing dogs for a while? I mean, do you recall any other bird dogs from your childhood or that one would have been with you for a while, I'd imagine? Yeah, that was, she was our first, she was our first and actually my dad's only bird dog. Um, okay. She lived till she was 13 and then uh, she started getting, she started getting sick. So she had uh, brain tumors and so on and so forth. Yeah, I remember I chuckled a little bit reading in the article as you were describing your dad as... He was a he was an avid outdoorsman, passionate about it, but not not necessarily a deep dive nerd about it. And you you wrote something about him. You know, he never would have cared about stem density or the age of an aspen cut, but he just loved being out there. And I I laughed at that because I guess it's it's a good reminder that you know sometimes we can take things a little bit too seriously. But also, my dad was a similar way. He lo- he loved the outdoors, and he gave me my exposure to it. But he never thought about it in the ways that I do. Yeah, it's, it's, I chuckle about it now too. Even talk with my mom; she always like is is amazed at how many fish and how many birds uh, I'm able to get. And I'm yeah. just like, you know, mom loved dad. Dad loved to do this, but he was actually really bad at it. <laughs> 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 um, you know, he didn't, he didn't, like I said, he didn't teach me a lot about how to be successful hunting. He just taught me how to love hunting. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, like you said, I think that's, that's really important. You know, I see a lot of, of people posting on Instagram and, and having tough times, uh, you know, not having success in the field or, you know, just kind of kind of down on themselves or, or worried about their dog if they're doing the right thing. And it's tricky situation with Instagram, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's, you know, a lot of people are just showing their best days. And that's just quite frankly, not it's not the case. Right. It's not how it goes. Yeah, I think I mean, when you go, if you're going to go post something on Instagram, you know, your first thought for a lot of people, myself included, is maybe not. Hey, let me post the you know the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> it's usually uh, right. it's usually the opposite of that. So, yeah, you're right. It's a slippery slope. I wonder if that maybe is. I don't know that I've ever thought about it, but one of the more challenges for people that get into hunting at a later stage in life, because I think it would be easy to imagine when you're exposed at a younger age it would be easier to be carried and swept away with the excitement and just have, have that pure love for it all. Whereas if you get into it later, you know how, how we get rich as, as adults, you're kind of more critical of yourself. You hyperanalyze everything. And I wonder if we just have too much going on in our heads, whereas a child can just kind of lose themselves in it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. 
Well, you and I both had the the easy way in, as I like to say, and consider ourselves lucky for that. But um, you've got uh, you've got kids today, and uh, we won't spend a ton of time talking about them. But have they have they had chances to be exposed to the outdoors yet? I, I imagine they have. I got to meet both of them at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, one one is not as interested in hunting and okay. more interested in fishing, and then the other one is more interested in hunting not as interested in fishing so kind of have best of both worlds you know it's fun to to have both of them around but it's also nice to have that one-on-one time with each of them yeah i know fishing for me was i loved fishing that was some of my first outdoor experiences and memories and my grandpa was a huge fisherman he loved to fish he fished on lake superior a lot and he took me out there and he uh he really instilled that in me and i've in more recent years i've kind of let fishing slip away a little bit i still i still have a passion for it and i like it but i'm kind of hopeful that you know i'm really going to make an effort to expose my son to fishing and we already have at the cabin um he's uh he's reeled in a couple of bluegills so i'm kind of holding out a little bit that maybe he will uh he'll give me the motivation to get back into fishing a little bit and uh give him some experiences like that yeah that's awesome talk to me about bird dogs today because that's one story that i want to i want to go over you've got a bird dog his name is hunter Tell me a little bit about him. Yeah, Hunter uh, is a 13-year-old uh, Visla. Got him uh, from a breeder. They moved, actually moved to South Dakota, but they were here in Minnesota. And uh, he was my first, well, still is my first bird dog. And uh, I didn't have too many huge expectations when I got him. I, I, I just wanted, uh, you know, it took <laughs> encouraging my wife to get a bird dog in the first place. So <laughs> we were... We were uh, family dog first and upland dog second, probably. When you when you got Hunter, you obviously had aspirations to get to to hunt him a little bit. But what did yeah. oh yeah what did hunting look like for you at the time? I guess we didn't really cover that. You know, we talked yeah. about some of your early exposures. Were you able to maintain hunting throughout your whole life? Do you have any gaps or breaks in your pursuits? Yeah, there was a gap um, definitely after our family dog died. So that would have been. Uh, I was in undergrad still, okay. and then, uh, but they had moved to New York. So since about 1997, I was dogless for a long time. Yeah, hunted a little. I hunted a couple times in college, just around the school. Okay, and then uh, wanted to get back into it. My my father-in-law does quite a bit of hunting, and his dog had just passed away. So uh, it wasn't one of those "it's my time" type of thing. But um, I, you know, I was still into hunting and uh never had owned a pointing dog and just thought it was the right time to do it yeah so it was a little bit of a you could say reactivation thing getting a bird dog and maybe taking it things a little bit more seriously how did you settle on the vishla uh you know at the time it was kind of uh not as common of a dog yeah Um, I, i wanted a pointer i wanted a dog with short hair and I just thought they were beautiful dogs. My brother-in-law grew up with one, and he just had good things to say about him. So I did a little research, yep. met some people at the Twin Cities Visa Club, and uh, saw a few dogs. And actually, the first breeder we went to was actually in Minneapolis. And um, we didn't know at the time, but we went, and it ended up being an apartment. And they had seven dogs in this tiny apartment, and they were <laughs> literally, literally jumping off the walls. Oh boy. And uh, Leah and I kind of left. So this was our first experience, like seeing multiple visas. And we kind of both left thinking like, I don't know if this is the right <laughs> dog for me. Yeah, they were just going crazy in there. Absolutely. It was it was, it was, was eye-opening. But you didn't stop there. You went to another breeder. Didn't stop there. Uh, 
found breeder that we liked and uh he had a very uh well-respected bloodlines rebel rouser which is apparently a, a great bloodline here in the midwest and hunter came out of that litter first first pick so you knew you wanted a pointing dog uh, first pointing dog that's kind of that can be a can be a big deal where were you at mentally when you got that pointing dog were you were you fanatically looking into how to train this dog and bring it up right or were you not taking that approach i was taking kind of middle middle i would call middle approach okay. so we did quite a bit of obedience training with him like i said they're the visas are highly intelligent dogs so we did a lot of obedience training i think we went through level three and then i actually ended up going to get a few consults from chad hines at willow creek oh Kettles. yeah um, i've hunted so over a couple did, of dogs out of his kennel yeah he's a great guy really smart really knows how to work with people too i don't know if you know i'm sure a lot of people send their dogs there but i opted to kind of learn from him uh, from a few consults um and he's just really he just breaks it down really well for people. If, if, if people are, are worried or people are, you know, have anxiety on, on how to do it, I mean, he can, he's a really great teacher. Yeah, I recall actually when I had Hartley right away, this six, seven years ago, I was watching a bunch of, Chad's got a bunch of YouTube videos, he's probably still making them. But yeah, he, yep. he does have a good way of going about it, breaking down concepts and topics. Yep. So what was, what what do you recall from, some of the first do you recall hunter's first hunt like where you went what what it looked like uh yeah his first wild hunt was minnesota public land it was uh, again maybe maybe an hour west of the cities and we were driving out and it was raining so you're going Uh, after pheasants right yep going after pheasants so we 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 did mainly pheasant hunting for his first 10 years of his life okay and so downpouring rain and it's midweek so i figured there'd be no people out and I turned around because I was just kind of I wasn't wasn't too interested in, in hunting in the rain at that yeah, point. Yeah, got it. And uh, I said, you know what? It's I have a day off. Let's just let's just do it. So I turned back around, head back out, and the first spot that we went to had multiple people in the in the plot already. And yeah. I was discouraged, and and I saw them already. They were they were coming back to their truck. So I figured, you know what? I'm here. I'm just, let's just let's just do it. And <laughs> so I got Hunter out. They stared at me like I was a crazy guy going out in the rain, hunting a, <laughs> a, a small piece of land that had just been hunted. And I, I decided I'm just going to hunt the perimeter, hunt the edge, be quick, come back to the truck and go home. And we ended up walking out about 200 yards and Hunter goes on point. And I walk in and I flush a rooster, hit it, falls down. No while hunters retrie- Yeah, while hunters retrieving, another rooster gets up. I shoot it. I pick up the one he retrieved. And he goes against the other one. I unload and I walk out and the guys are still in the parking lot <laughs> staring at me. I was like, going to ask. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was a pretty, uh, obviously a hunt that I'll never forget. It was pretty impressive. And I'm like, I got, I got a bird dog. That's unbelievable. Do you rec- yeah. uh, was that, how old was Hunter? Do you recall? I mean, was he under a year at that point? He was under a year. Okay. Yeah. So that was, so he was born in October, okay. end of October. And that hunt would have been mid-October, so it was pretty fun, fun to watch. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That's quite the first hunt, really, and you even yep. had, even had uh, spectators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and to think that I almost didn't do it, I, you know, right. I turned around. All, so. the self, all the self-doubt, that man, that's, yep. a, that's another thing I think, you know, as adults, we probably allow that to creep in more. I, 
I find myself in similar situations. You just all of a sudden you're just overwhelmed with ah, this cover sucks. I should turn yep. around. The weather sucks, but usually keep on going is a good option. Yep, yep. <laughs> if you have the opportunity, go go and get them. Yeah. So started with a bang, literally hunter's first hunt, and just continued then primarily hunting Minnesota public land pheasants. Anything? What else do you recall from hunter's early days? Yeah, we hunted a lot of, my father-in-law, we hunted a lot of North Dakota. Uh, he grew up okay. out there, uh, actually didn't have any family with land, but we hunted a lot of, of land, uh, public land in North Dakota. So we've, did, we've done a couple of trips to South Dakota. We did Saskatchewan for waterfowl and Sharpies. So we've been around a little bit. And then yeah. uh, more recently, we've been doing a lot of grouse and woodcock hunting. Yeah, that's when the last couple of years I've been following along, and we haven't covered this, but you're a photographer as your profession, right, Rich? I am, yep. Yep, I shoot uh, food photography. Yeah, and uh, you're a very talented photographer, and fortunately you let your profession in photography bleed over into your passion for the outdoors, so we get treated to some uh, excellent outdoor photography as well. Thank you. That's kind of your passion project. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's fun. It's, you know, I, I, it's, I'm blessed to be able to take pictures and, and and get paid for it. So some of the the stuff within the outdoor space is just fun and, and I'm getting a few more opportunities here and there. Right. It's just fun. Yeah. And, and, uh, where I was going with that, I was, as I've been following along with you the last couple of years, you've been spending some time at the cabin in Wisconsin and taking pictures on the lake and, doing some more grouse hunting what was it like had you never rough grouse hunted before a couple of years ago what was that transition like uh yeah dad and i hunted grouse once okay central minnesota to not a lot of success (laughs) (laughs) remember anything Uh, from that day yeah i i do actually do remember i remember he uh i had i was carrying a bb gun at the time and he wanted me to he, he saw a bird that i could not pick out with my own eye on the ground and he wanted to he gave me dad gave me a the first shot, I guess I should, you know, we call it. And uh, I never, I couldn't even see it. He's like, it's right there. We sat there for like, it must have been 10 minutes, and he's just trying to point it out. <laughs> and uh, and it, we got it to flush, but he, he never hit it either. So, uh, but yeah, grouse hunting, um, very limited growing up. Like I said, yeah. uh, I think we went out once. And then uh, my first year, so we bought a cabin in Wisconsin here a few years ago. And my first year grouse hunting, uh, I ended up getting shingles in September. Oof. I've had and shingles, actually. You've had shingles. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> I actually got it in college, believe it or not. Um, oh. And I know you're like, I think it's generally more common in, in older people, but yep. I think it can be stress-related. And Yep. Yeah. I remember, um, I think mine was related to, my dog almost stroked out. We were at the hunt club before opener on that year of grouse. And he, he, I had to carry him out wow. and, and it was really scary. And I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and, and, and a lot of the blame for that. Cause he, he, I don't know if you can, but he, he had quite a heavy hearing loss right after that day. So I don't know if I affected him in any manner, but I was obviously stressed out huh. and I got the shingles, uh, but it put me out. Like I didn't hunt until the end of November. So I think I hunted, I hunted opener and then I hunted, one i think i hunted two days that first year in in the grouse woods okay so i've been hunting grouse for really only two years and what's it been like it's been fun uh <laughs> definitely definitely a, a steep learning curve it's been uh you know i've had i've had a couple people lead me in in good direction yeah but it's fun it's it's a fun community 
you know, like I said, I just love being out, just love being out in the woods, you know, wish my dad could be there with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it'd be fun to teach him a little bit. So what about grouse hunting captured your, in, or how did grouse hunting capture your interest in, you know, you mentioned the cabin. So being in that place, did your mind just start thinking about what are the opportunities around here? Was it something else that inspired you to go grouse hunting? Um, I think it was, you know, when we bought the cabin, it was never, it wasn't even on my radar. Like, okay. This could be a spot that I could grouse on. It was more, obviously, I can, I can go out the back door and, and go fishing. But it, I think the first time that I saw, it was probably, I probably heard a grouse drumming probably realistically because we got the, we got the cabin in the spring. Yep. And I was like, well, this could be something that I could do, you know, right here. And, and I didn't know anything about habitat. I just knew that I could hear drumming really close to the cabin or at the cabin. So, you know, just dug in it a little deeper. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, when you have that foundation, you know, it's, it's not, it's not too hard to get into it. Right. You had everything you else. You had the dog, you yeah. had, you had experience in hunting, you know, guns, all that other stuff was in the rear view. So you could solely focus on one new element, which is grouse hunting. Exactly. Yeah. What as somebody that has started grouse hunting in the last couple of years, what where did you go the first time? Did you did you get on any specific resources? Were you on Wisconsin looking at public land, places to go, that kind of thing? Yeah, uh Wisconsin DNR has a fairly decent map um yep. that highlights the year classes of asking cuts. So if you're if you're choosing to hunt yes, it has it for all species of, of animals, but you can pick grouse and woodcock and it'll highlight um alder and aspen and mm-hmm. it's a pretty good map for for free for sure yeah that it's a that's a i would consider that a very valuable resource something that hasn't been available for you know 20 years ago i'm guessing yep it's uh yep. it's definitely a, a leg up for folks getting started today a lot of good information and i, I mean certainly the just knowing where to go is is a big deal in all of the public land information and hunting access stuff has become much, much easier to access. So that's uh, that's a big help for folks. What do you recall, like trying to think of the most challenging things, did you did you all of a sudden find yourself buried in a bunch of thick aspen and brush and just think, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> a little bit. I, the, the first, my first hunt was the public land behind the cabin. Okay. Like literally yeah. just outside the door. Yeah, start close. And it's, yeah, it's close. And it's, I don't even think at that point I was really uh, researching what I was supposed to be doing. I was just, I'm just, just going. I'm here and I'm, I'm just going to go. Yeah. yeah. So the, 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 the area is fairly marginal. I mean, it's, it's not prime. Okay. Uh, there's not acreages of, of Aspen. It's, it's a, it's a very diverse piece of land it has conifer, has Aspen, a lot of uh, scrub oak. Yeah. Um, so, it, so they're there. I think they're nesting there heavily and they're moving through our property all all summer long so but they're, they're i think they're better places to hunt than than right there and you know I, i'm not i'm not going to shoot more than one bird there a year sure uh but yeah it was like i said it's a much different learning curve you know even even listening to your podcast you know you think about people like ann yeah. dan Noah, and several other people like you know i'm i'm in the i'm in the same same covers that you guys are talking about or, or, or near them so it's it's not impossible to figure it out on your own yeah it's just you definitely need to spend a lot of time in the woods and there's a lot of nuance to it for sure yep do you recall 
flushing your first grouse, trying to get shots at them, misses, hits, anything like that? Yeah, my first grouse, uh, I hit, actually. Nice. Uh, Man, you and the yeah. first pheasants for Hunter and first grouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and actually, if I, you know, I actually forgot about this. The first, my actual first grouse hunt with Hunter uh, was up, up on the North Shore. Of In Minnesota. Minnesota, okay. Yep, and it was late September weekend. My wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time, and uh, she's like, let's go up north. I'm like, okay, I'm like, can I bring the shotgun? And she's like, why? And I'm like, well, there are these, there's beautiful hunting trails up there, and we could just hunt the trails, and there might be grouse. And, uh, nice way so to sell first, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so actually, my first, my first grouse hunt, other than with my dad, uh, so we were just walking these trails, and the hunter went on point immediately, and he flushed a bird right over the trail, and I got it, and then he Five minutes later, same thing, bird right over the trail, and I got. So I'm thinking, all right, grouse man. Grouse, yeah, grouse hunting, this is, this is pretty easy. <laughs> and uh, that proved to be completely wrong yeah. once I actually got into it. So, um, it, it, you know, those first, like, I, like you said, the, the first pheasant hunt and first yeah. grouse hunt, um, pretty, pretty special. Uh, definitely not accurate to how it goes for anyone. Yeah, you and Hunter, Any you've day. got uh... – a little bit of magic going on did yeah. you did you go on a first sharp tail hunt and uh shoot two immediately <laughs> <laughs> no, i've never targeted specifically sharp tails okay. but he's had some epic sharp tail hunts in north dakota as as kind of the backup bird of the rooster yeah okay so we kind of covered a couple of years in grouse hunting gear obviously you're at the beginning of that um you're still very excited about it and excited to continue pursuing grouse hunting yeah absolutely Really, really love the woodcock this last year. That's that's yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you. If you if you chase the rough grouse around long enough, you know, it usually doesn't take very long. But you're going to be introduced to his uh, his neighbor, the woodcock. Yep. How long did that take? I mean, was that like a an eye opening experience when you all of a sudden stepped into a cover filled up with woodcock? Yeah. So the first year, I was like I said, I, I was I was out with shingles. Yeah. Um, it like litter i mean it was it wiped me out so my only opportunity was that opener and i never saw one so okay. it wasn't even that again that wasn't even on my radar yep so then the following year i found a pretty good cover uh full of woodcock and and it was pretty it was pretty fun i remember my dad on that first hunt central minnesota we he told me about him and i was okay. I had no idea no we, we had no idea what we were looking for or um we just knew it was kind of a crossover uh habitat species so we were on the lookout for him but um yeah that first year or that second year really was was the, the first time i got into him well let's circle back a little bit to hunter because yep. hunter had a unique season this year and uh yeah he's why don't you tell us a little bit about hunter's hunting career at the later this later stage in his life yep so about last year about this time, uh, so January 2020, uh, he presented with some kind of a limp, and which wasn't too abnormal for him. And he was a pretty athletic dog, and and you know sometimes might get out of the truck wrong or and he was playing rough or something. 12, 11 or twelve at the time. Yep, he was yeah, twelve. Yeah. Yep, and uh, so I didn't think too much of it, and then it didn't go away like most of his limps. So yep. in February, I brought him in, and doctor immediately was concerned about bone cancer which uh, it, that again wasn't even a, a thought in my mind right. so um i asked him to do kind of the battery of tests outside of bone cancer so we you know we tested him for um 
uh, we did x-rays to check to see if they're, you know, ligaments or um, we did anaplasmosis, Lyme's mm-hmm. disease, uh, blasto, uh, all the kind of the, the, the ones that you, you might think a bird dog might get into. So, um, but all those came back negative. And so my doctor wanted to do bone biopsy. And uh, we did a few more other, we did a lot of, ex, we did x-rays of his chest to see if he had, a lot of times if, if it is bone cancer, it spreads to the chest first. Uh, so he wanted to rule that out. But uh, we ended up doing the bone biopsy. That would have been end of February. And it came back, uh, actually the bone biopsy, the, the bone was actually being affected by uh cancer in the soft tissue hmm. so he was diagnosed with some type of soft tissue sarcoma which was affecting the bone and so the doctor thought that the best course of uh, course of action was to amputate his leg which for a, a hunter of a bird dog owner that's kind of uh it was a it was a tough yeah I would tough to swallow yep. um you know especially of such an athletic you know, a dog that you've, you've had for 12 years, you just, you don't, it's not, I never expected it. You know, I was just like, it's just a limp. And, uh, what made it harder was that when he had painkillers that just made him seem hundred percent normal, you know? So you, in your mind, you're like, he's good. We're good. Um, but when you have, uh, uh, someone trained in, in, in the medical field telling you that he believes it's something else, it's, it's tough to, tough to hear that so yeah we ended up uh uh deciding to amputate which you know we've heard we hear a lot of stories of people you know dogs are you know your dog's 12 you know it's it's going to cost a lot of money to, to amputate and yeah. a lot of people do chemo after and but we decided to do it i mean he, he's been our guy and and uh you know he's never asked for anything so he was important to our family and we decided to do it we didn't know still that you know still the prognosis was you never know, you know, right. You know, we, we asked the vet, uh, you know, is he gonna, how's he going to do after this? He's like, dogs do incredibly well on three legs. Uh, as far as the cancer, you know, we don't know. Right. We don't, you know, there's, there's never any clear answer for it. So, uh, but we did it and, um, they did a, another biopsy of his leg after surgery. And the doctor, the pathology said, the report said that the cancerous the sarcoma was like one of the highest metastasized cell count they've ever seen but the lymph nodes in that leg that they removed had nothing in it hmm. so it was pretty pretty special to hear that um and he's seemingly doing very well right now yeah and he's now 13 years old and just finished up 13 years old just finished yep. another hunting season right yep yep <laughs> well i want to talk about that a little bit but before we leave sort of his surgery and everything what was the kind of the rehabilitation like last summer and you know where was your head at were you i know you were hopeful that he would he's obviously got to adjust to being on three legs and were you even thinking that getting him back in the grouse woods or the uplands was even a possibility or we just had no idea yeah i had no idea at the time yeah we were still i mean this was this was not to bring the pandemic into it but this was like right when the yeah right when that was happening yeah. hit the u.s yeah so we were all at home with this dog who had just had his you know major surgery yeah um, which was actually pretty good timing um, right but yeah it was it was a rough first week so he actually ended up getting a, a major abscess in that leg um so he had to go back in to get a drain put in 
so that first week he was he was pretty uncomfortable we had to do everything virtual with the vet so i couldn't just bring him in and be like hey can you look at this it Mm -hmm. was send him video or or over the phone um videos to kind of diagnose and he ended up like i said getting this huge infection so uh that first week was tough um which i think it already would have been tough but so it pushed us back a little bit but um i would say after that second week he was moving around pretty well you know i it'll sound like a broken record but these dogs you know they're they don't know any different they're they already know how to limp you know what i mean yeah so they know how to get around like if if a dog has a has a hurt paw he's gonna learn quickly how to not put Mm -hmm. pain into that paw so he learned pretty quickly how to how to get around i was really worried that you know he's 13 12 he was 12 at the time so i had a lot of anxiety about whether or not he was going to have arthritis and like how you know how long could he do this for right and so but he progressed he progressed pretty quickly but still you know i had no expectations for him in the field i knew he would want to do it but i didn't know right how well he would do it yeah it's the situations you find yourselves in with these bird dogs you know they they seemingly give you everything and and they do and more but it's a tough decision right you got a you got a dog and you're considering his age and a major surgery and i mean it certainly puts into perspective what i went through with hartley you know he had he had tore his acl which is pretty common in in dogs and we did his surgery on new year's eve and you know if if all goes well for me he'll be back up to nearly 100 percent, which which is exciting but for hunter to to get back out there with with three legs i mean it's, it's amazing really i mean i i don't think many of us doubt our bird dogs but it's time and time again they prove that uh, they're very capable of doing what they love to do yeah it's it's pretty impressive it it, it, it you know i, I at times, I think like he's not the first bird dog to hunt on three legs. No. There's there's been plenty of bird dogs that have hunted on three legs, but he's been pretty well documented uh, hunting on three legs. So yeah. it's pretty special. It's it's still you know really inspiring to see him work. work. Uh, there are times when we're hunting where you don't you forget you forget that he's 13 and he only has three legs. It's pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Again, when when we got together at pine ridge over the summer i got to see him hit the pine ridge training fields and point some pigeons and he was jazzed up on that day so what were a few moments or memories that you have from his hunting season this year i I think about the grouse cover just i i think about him moving around through that stuff and i know you guys had some successful hunts yeah yeah you know it was the beginning of the season was uh with a lot of a lot of anticipation because at that point i knew that he could move around pretty well sure yeah we 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 went out uh, actually only around once to train on sharp tails, but that was that was August. Okay. But uh, yeah, the the grouse and woodcock covers I think were like designed for old dogs with three legs, because <laughs> 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 they're not you know they don't have to they don't have to really push through uh, any super heavy cover on on the ground. It's, it's sure they can kind of ground. pick their way through it as opposed yep, to like can... cattails or something. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he wasn't trying to, it it wasn't a speed game for him. It was, uh, he could be more methodical. He wasn't, you know, when he's on the trail or, or, you know, we're going for a walk, he looks a little uncomfortable because he basically has to hop everywhere he goes. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of pounding on that front foreleg. Yeah. So the grouse covers in my mind are optimal for him. And, but that first, that first hunt, first opening weekend, man, it was I'm sure you remember it was wet and hot. Yeah, it was. It was uh, there was is, a lot of moisture in the air. 
pretty pretty common for our for our covers. Yep. And man, we saw a lot of birds, but I didn't get a shot off until my third until that Monday, I think. Yeah, it was thick. As it, thick. as it always is on grouse opener. Yep. And so um it was both exciting to to see him do it. Uh it was exciting to see him get on birds, but it was discouraging that I couldn't reward him with <laughs> yeah. with some feathers in his mouth. But it was that third, like I said, it was that third hunt. I was actually out with my youngest son, and man, we celebrated that first bird. It was pretty special. Yeah, I would imagine that's full circle after the after the yep. surgery and everything else, and he's back out there, and then he's got a bird in his mouth. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were my my son and I were jumping around like like kids again. It was pretty. It was pretty fun. And Hunter was staring at us like, "What are you guys doing? <laughs> Let's go find the next one." Yeah, that was that was one. Let's go get more. Uh, <laughs> But another funny story about actual the actual opener uh, went out with the whole family, and we were walking pretty deep in the cover. So we try to avoid the the trails, just like you said, just like I was talking before. I think yeah. it's harder for him to walk on run on trails. So we were in the cover, but it was just too thick and too hot, and the mosquitoes, and you know how close the kids were yeah. complaining about it. So we walked back up to the trail, and Hunter decided it was a good spot to to relieve himself so he was squatting and uh i thought it was a good time to to clean the water off my glasses and so i pulled my glasses off and after Hunter's done with his business he immediately slams in a point like right right where he was right there. Didn't, didn't take a step and i'm sure you've been in situations where you you just didn't trust your bird dog or yep. you thought you know this is just a, a old rooster or he's just picking up scent well it wasn't a couple of seconds later, two grouse fly right above our heads over the trail. And I have my glasses in my hand and my family's saying, shoot him, shoot him. And <laughs> I couldn't do it because I had my glasses off. But the, those were, that was opener. And that's kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Your best luck gun in the thick yep. grouse cover of opener, you're, you're not ready for it. <laughs> yep. You do it long enough. That'll happen to you. That's for sure. And it'll, it'll happen again. Absolutely. As the season progressed, did Hunter just kind of smooth sailing, relatively speaking, just kind of cruise on through, and you kept getting them out there? I mean, I know you hunted a good good ways into the season, but no other problems, and all in all, an awesome season to have him back out there. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, he had a great season. We didn't have any hiccups. Yeah, uh, cool. You know, we hunted pretty short, pretty short yeah. um, yep. since, you know, one, two, two and a half, three hour hunts. Yep. So it was it was something special to to be out there. We hunted more days than I think I've ever hunted in a season. So it was a uh, it was one to one to remember for sure. Looking ahead, is there another bird dog in the future? Are you not thinking about that yet, or does your mind drift there from time to time? Oh yeah, the mind the mind is always there. <laughs> it, it's been it's been talked about. Okay. Um, you know, I think the boys are at that perfect age. Puppy would be cool. Seven. Yep, puppy yeah. would be cool. They're they're at that age where they could pick up some of the responsibility and, and learn some of those learn some of those different things. So uh, it's been talked about. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but sure. it'll happen soon. It'll happen soon. Yeah. Yeah. Within upland hunting, is there? It sounds like you're pretty enthused about grouse and woodcock hunting, just with the cabin and in the proximity, and obviously the opportunity that you have living where you live. Is there anything else in upland hunting that you're eager to go out and try or not at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I've never done uh, 
early season for Sharpies. I'd love to do that. Okay. Yep. Um, Hunter's always been, he's always been affected a little bit by the heat. So I know that, I mean, obviously I think that'd be tough now, Yeah. but I'd love to get into that. I'd love to go chucker hunting, man. Yeah. That would be, that would be, you know, you know, I'm sure it's not easy, but I'd love to do that. I'd love to, I'd love to get, I'd love to hunt some bombers. Yep. You did that. And I know you did that, right? I got a chance to do that in 2018. Yep. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy being able to go and see different, different country and different places. I mean, that's the, yeah. the variety in upland hunting is definitely one of the really unique things about it. I think. Yep. Let's talk shotguns a little bit because I kept, well, I was mentioning that we, you and I met up at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp earlier this summer and we got to see some of the new guns from Upland Gun Company. That was pretty early. And you had since been taking some pictures and sharing, you'd been carrying one this fall. So I guess before we talk about those guns in particular, talk to me about shotguns a little bit as far as where did you have a interest in shotguns? What did you carry growing up? I mean, what, where do shotguns fall in sort of the, your upland hunting world? Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up with the 870 express, just okay. like a lot of us did. I yep, think me too. <laughs> uh, still, I still have it. I actually, in college, I tried to refinish it, which I had, I had no idea what I was doing in it. it <laughs> I completely, I completely destroyed the stock. Um, so it, it's sitting in the safe, collecting dust. But uh, that was a that was a great gun to start off with. Twelve gauge, um, so twenty gauge, twelve twelve gauge okay. pump. Yeah, okay. which was a good uh, great gun uh, to learn with, and a lot of a lot of waterfall with it, and then transitioned into upland and yeah. I think actually after that it was a Benelli Nova, and then I got my first over under a few years after that. So okay. yeah, not not I'm I'm obviously into shotguns. I'm not uh, a fanatic like some of the folks yeah. are, but I I definitely enjoy you know a nice gun and the, you know some of them can be pieces of art. Yeah, right. Which kind of lends itself to some of your photography for sure. Was this your first season carrying a side by side? Last year I shot the uh, CZ Bob White. Oh, you did. Yep, in okay. twenty gauge. Yep. Cool. What What led you into that? Um, I uh, wanted to try a side by side. It okay. was the right. Uh, it was kind of. I was. It was, it was the right price yeah. um, for to get introduced into it. And uh, yeah. When you When you started shooting the side by side. Were there hiccups in transitioning? Did you take to it pretty quickly? Did you like it or not? Not notice any difference? I didn't. I didn't notice too much difference. Okay. Um, the double trigger took a little getting used to, sure, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I do. I do really like it. But yeah, for the most part, it was a it was a pretty smooth transition. The biggest thing for me was the weight. Just the that twenty gauge bob white is really light. I think it's under six pounds. So. Um, it's it's a nice little gun to carry uh, in the in the northern Wisconsin covers. Yeah, and so I think for me that was the biggest thing. And then this year you were carrying the I think it was a twenty gauge Upland Gun Company Zeus model, right? Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, enjoyed shooting that too. Yeah, I did. I shot it a little better than the ones that you saw me shooting okay. <laughs> at, <Pine Ridge laughs> at the at the at uh, jerry's play course yeah so to speak yeah um but yeah it was a, it's a beautiful little gun carries really nicely um shoulders really well and obviously it, it points at the bird yeah it does what a does what a shotgun needs to do that's cool 
Yep, and it and it does a it's it's pretty pretty good to look at. Yeah, too. it looks it's, it uh, looks good doing doing it too. Which, yeah, uh, yep. yeah, yeah. Shotguns. Uh, yeah, shotguns all the it's it has a little bit of that vintage charm, um, yep. but all of your all of your modern amenities, so to speak. Right. Yeah, can shoot anything through it, and yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, the thing that I noticed, I guess, right away, picking up some of those Upland Gun Company guns, they're light. I mean, the the weight on them for what they are is really good. Balance is good. I know I like the ones that I shot out at Jerry's place, and I carried one out in North Dakota this year, and uh, I'm hoping to maybe be carrying one this fall. So we'll see. Yep. Yep. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm currently building one in my head here for, okay. for him to make. Uh, <laughs> looking at a 16 gauge so nice nice yeah oh well shoot man we covered a whole bunch of stuff there bird hunting bird dogs shotguns everything else what um oh you know what i wanted to ask you your instagram handle whisk whisk me nord whisk me nord yeah tell me about that briefly so it was um obviously had nothing to do with upland hunting when i when i originally started but so when we got the cabin i wanted to to do uh do something on Instagram uh, with the cabin. So, you know, as, as a as a photographer, you know, uh, I mean, I love. Don't get me wrong, I I am blessed and I love to to shoot food. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have to stay inspired and motivated if you want to do any work in that industry. So, I wanted to to have fun and and just have kind of a personal portfolio of uh, my family and I and the things that we do up north. So started whisk me nord and it's basically so whisk like wisconsin yeah but it's kind of a play on words like whisk like take me away like so whisk me nord the whisk me north yeah i guess is kind of where i was going that's where my head um, that's where my head went with it so i, okay, was, good. I was following good. along <laughs> good 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 i've had a lot of people were there even after i explained it they're like eh, okay. <laughs> so oh no very cool man i i know that I think when I first stumbled across your account, some of like your photography obviously is what drew me in, but you had some drone shots of like the lake and the boats. And I, I just love that kind of stuff. It's, it's really cool. I could tell that Northwoods flavor and in the cabin and everything. And I've long had an appreciation for, uh, you know, this part of the world and some of the traditions and history and culture that goes along with cabin country, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. We're, blessed to have a little piece of heaven up there yeah so if folks do want to check out some of your upland related photography that would be the probably the best place to go and that is why don't you lay out the instagram handle i'll make sure to throw a link in the notes yep so it's uh whisk me nord w-i-s-c underscore me underscore nord n-o-r-d there it is whisk me nord do you have a uh do you have a website that you would tell people to go check out if uh if they were curious about that or anything I don't. Okay. I don't have a website. Right. I do. Uh, well, I'm working on a website. I actually had two websites, but they're down right now. So, okay. uh, working on it. Well, if anybody listening here needs super high quality photos of food, should they look you up via your Instagram account? Yeah. Uh, yep. That'd be great. <laughs> message, message me there. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with myself and the Project Upland podcast listeners. I know that you and I will keep in touch and we'll have to connect in the Northwoods, man. Yeah, that'd be fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Take it easy, Rich. Yep. Bye. Thanks 
Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, Dogtra, Electronic Shooters Protection, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.